Welcome to Pastor Casey's Sermon at Bangor Community Church's Sunday Service. Casey is the Village Missions Pastor at Bangor Community Church here in Bangor, California. Village Missions serves Christ by sending missionary pastors to rural communities all over North America. Casey's joined by his wife, Hope, and their eight children. Let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Hi, everybody. Uh, Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Uh, As always, if you do not have a Bible, if you are in need of a Bible, please come see me after the service. Uh, Previously, in Luke chapter 22, uh, we have seen Judas uh, going, goes behind the back of Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And Judas goes and makes a deal with the chief priests to turn over Jesus to be arrested. Jesus knew this, and Jesus still went ahead and had the Passover meal Uh, in the upper room with all 12 of his disciples, including Jesus, or I'm sorry, including Judas. Judas was there with them as they went through this. And he, Jesus predicted Judas's betrayal uh, without naming names to the group. Uh, He predicted Peter's upcoming denial. He instituted the new covenant with the sacrament of communion. He prayed for the disciples and then they, they left the upper room. Uh, At some point when they were in the upper room after communion, uh, Jesus had Judas leave to go do what he needed to do. So Jesus and the rest of the disciples, they leave the upper room. They leave Jerusalem. They go up to the Mount of Olives where they were staying. Jesus goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray to the Father, knowing what was coming, knowing uh, that what he was going to have to go through and agonizing over the wrath of God that was about to be poured out on him. Uh, In the section we looked at last week, uh, Jesus came back from praying. The disciples had fallen asleep. Jesus rebukes them, um, gets them, says, wake up. He says, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And as he is saying these words, we pick up uh, in this morning's text. uh, We look at Luke chapter 22, verses 45. I have written down 45. It's 47 through 53. Uh, And I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I encourage you to follow along in your preferred translation, because the key point is being able to read for yourself what the Word of God says. So Luke 22, 47 through 53, Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. May God bless the reading of his holy word. So while Jesus was still speaking to his disciples as he was telling them, uh, and specifically the inner three, Peter, James, and John, uh, he tells them, pray. Keep yourself from temptation. 
and as he's telling him this, them this, he would have known that Judas and the temple guards were coming right up to arrest him. Maybe he heard the clanging of the metal, the swords and the, the, the chain mail or whatever they were wearing at the time. Um, heard the clanging of that as they were coming up the, the mount. Maybe he saw the glint of the torches or lanterns through the trees uh, as Judas was leading them up to that secluded spot. But he knew they were right there. They were on their way right then. And maybe that's why Jesus left his prayer area and came back to the disciples instead of continuing to pray. Either way, he gave those last instructions to the disciples. And here comes this crowd, this group. They were isolated from the crowds of the people outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane in Olive Grove. They were away from the people that surrounded Jesus during the day to hear his teachings, to 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 revere him, to worship him, to to want to be close to him. There was no one else around. It was dark. It was late at night. Those people that the chief priests were scared of for their retaliation, if they did something to Jesus, those people were gone. They weren't there that night. They couldn't do anything to stop Jesus from being arrested. Again, one of the reasons that Jesus chose that spot and that situation. And here comes Judas, Judas, who had agreed to betray Jesus, leading this group. And they had arranged ahead of time a signal so that the guards knew without any mistake, without any doubt, this is the guy that we are supposed to get. Let's make sure we arrest the right guy. No mistaking identities, no confrontations to, to, that could escalate. Let's make sure we have the right one. So Judas, Judas was the one who would give that signal. He knew Jesus. Judas knew Jesus. He knew where they would be. He knew where they were staying because he was staying with them there as well. He knew Jesus's routine where he went to pray because Judas was with them each night. He knew where to lead that group to meet Jesus. This group was a a mix of of temple guards under the authorization and the command of the the Sanhedrin, the the high priests and the, the chief priests. And it was a mix of them and some Roman soldiers from the different garrisons that were stationed in Jerusalem. So it was a a mixture within this group. And they were all coming, Judas leading them. And they come up to where Judas and the disciples were. And Judas approached Jesus and greeted him with a kiss. This was a a common custom of respect, especially to uh, one's teacher or one's rabbi, uh, to, to greet with a holy kiss. But this was also the signal that they had arranged ahead of time so that they knew which one Jesus was. And Jesus calls him on that and says, really? That's how you're going to do this. That's how you're going to go and betray me is with this kiss, this this outwardly a sign of respect. You're going to use that sign of respect as a sign of betrayal against me. He's, He's telling him, I know you were going to betray me, but... That, that you had made this deal, but to greet me with a kiss as you do so is the, the ultimate disrespect. The disciples were watching this and they saw what was happening. They saw where this was going, what was going to happen. And they remembered what Jesus had said uh, just a few verses ago in our Bibles, a few hours ago in, in real time about going out and buying a sword. Again, completely missing the point that Jesus was making. And so during this confrontation, shall we strike them with swords? Shall we fight back? Shall we do this? 
One of them, Luke doesn't mention who, Luke is very polite and politically correct, doesn't want to call out Peter, doesn't want to get anyone in trouble. John knows who, he was there with them, and John has no problem naming Peter in his gospel. Peter jumps into action without waiting for Jesus's advice or waiting to think, as is Peter's personality. And he cuts off the right ear of one of the high priest's servants. One of them, um, one of the asides that we see in this uh, is that unlike what he said back in verse 33, Peter was not yet actually prepared to go to prison or to die for Jesus. He was still trying to fight back against what was going to happen to him. Uh, We'll get more into that in a little bit. But then we see this and we see Jesus responds. And as we do, I feel Jesus's response. It feels like a father's response. Kids, knock it off. The kids, the disciples, they were acting in ways that they knew they weren't supposed to. They were doing things without the permission of Jesus. And, and he, here he stops them in his tracks. says, enough. Stop what you're doing. I've told you enough. Again, that father, I feel him. You guys are done. Go to your corners. And then he gently and he fully and he quietly heals the servant's ear. His ear had been cut off. He picks it up, places it against his head, and he heals the servant's ear. The last miracle that he performs before the crucifixion, he heals the ear of one of the men sent to arrest him and bring him to his death. This wasn't a mortal wound. It wasn't going to save his life by doing this. It wasn't that this was... That's not what it was. It was... He had his ear cut off. This could very quickly escalate, and he had his ear cut off. Did I mention he had his ear cut off? (laughs) So Jesus is showing compassion on this, not to prevent anything from happening, not to save the man's life, but because it was the compassionate thing to do. Peter was wrong. I'm fixing it, what, what Peter did. I'm showing that compassion and acting on that. And... That situation there with with the disciples asking that question, with Peter jumping in, we see that the comments that Jesus made in verses 36 and 37, we looked at a few weeks ago about about going out and selling your cloaks and buying swords for the journey, that that was meant to be taken as symbolic instead of expressly literal. And we see that here. This is one of the reasons that we can look back at that and say he was speaking symbolically. Because if he was speaking literally, Peter did the right thing. If he was speaking literally, Peter did exactly what Jesus was telling him to do. Yet Jesus says, no, that's not what I was telling you to do. We saw then that they were missing the point. And Jesus is like, I don't want to talk about this anymore because you guys just aren't getting it. And here we see them act on that. And Jesus is like, no, you're done. You're still not getting it. One of the things we have seen history prove time and time again is that Christianity cannot, should not, and will not be spread by the sword. But Christianity is and will be spread by the preaching and the hearing of the gospel and by the lives and the examples of those who follow it. Historically, Christianity works against itself when it attempts to spread the gospel by force. 
came across an incredible quote by J.C. Ryle. He wisely says, the sword has a lawful office of its own. It may be used righteously in the defense of nations against oppression. It may be used, it may be positively necessary to use it to prevent confusion, plunder, and rapine upon earth. But the sword is not to be used in the propagation and maintenance of the gospel. Christianity is not to be enforced by bloodshed and belief in it extorted by force. Happy would it have been for the church if this sentence had been more frequently remembered. There are few countries in Christendom where the mistake has not been made of attempting to change men's religious opinions by compulsion, penalties, imprisonment, or death. And with what effect? The pages of history supply the answer. No wars have been so bloody as those which have arisen out of the collision of religious opinions. Often, mournfully often, the very men who have been the most forward to promote those wars have themselves been slain. Christianity is not spread by the sword. It is spread by the hearing and the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes from fear. No. Faith comes from vigorous moral and intellectual debates. Those are good, but no. Faith comes from trying to escape death, imprisonment, punishment, as fire insurance. No. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes from hearing the gospel, the Holy Spirit changing hearts to accept the gospel, to respond to it, to repent and believe. Faith comes from the grace of God as a gift from God by the preaching of the word. Faith does not come by force. Faith comes by the word. Back to the, the story here. Jesus stops the disciples. He heals the servant because he knew that this had to happen. He knew where this was going. He knew what needed to be done. And so he is telling the disciples as he goes through this situation, he's telling the disciples, stop trying to get in the way of my purpose. This is the same thing Peter was doing back when, when he confessed Jesus as the Christ and then said he would not let Jesus be killed in Jerusalem. Jesus called him Satan for trying to prevent the will of God. This is where the application is difficult when we say not our will, but God's will be done. And, and our will in this, in this case, the will of the disciples, and, and I'll go through it as our will today as well, slight change in context. The will of the disciples, Jesus reign over Israel. Reign over national, physical Israel. Reign over our national country. Expel and destroy Rome. Reign over the United States. Expel and destroy Democrats and socialists is what you'll hear in many churches today. That's the same thing the disciples were saying there. If you listen, if you listen to many of them, Lord, sit on a physical throne and rule over us like King David. That was the will of the disciples. That was... That's our will as a, a corporate group of many Christians today in America. Lord, rule over America and expel our political enemies and rule over us like King David. But Lord, not our will. Your will be done. Your will going to the cross in humility and simplicity, 
going to the cross at the Passover as the Passover fulfillment. Your will to shed your blood and dying for the forgiveness of sins. Your will to absorb the necessary wrath of God. Your will to resurrect from the dead, defeating death and sin. Your will, reigning spiritually right now over spiritual Israel, all believers in all time, called the church with the future inauguration of the physical and eternal kingdom of God. Not our will, but Lord, your will be done. It's hard to apply that as we're going through the things that we go through today. As we go through the things that are going on in our lives, as we go through the things that we see going around us in our state, in our country, in the world. To say, I want that to be fixed. I want, Lord, I want you to step in and deal with this situation the way I see is the right way to deal with it. And then to go and sit and submit and say, but you know what? Not my will. Lord, your will be done. Jesus turns and he speaks to the leaders of the group coming to arrest him. He asks them, why the swords? Why the clubs? Why are you acting like you're expecting violence? Forget what Peter did there for a minute. But why are you treating me like a violent criminal when all I've done is teach and talk? Again, Jesus knew this. Remember, he said he would need to be identified with the transgressors. They were seeing him as a violent insurrectionist. They were placing him in those categories that did not fit because they needed to place him in those categories to get their will, which was his arrest and his death. They wouldn't touch him during the day. They wouldn't touch him when the crowds were there. They wouldn't do anything when they were in the temple. There were witnesses around. I forget the specific time, but it was just saying nothing good happens after midnight or, you know, that's, that's what fits here. That's what Jesus points out. Jesus says the darkness suits them perfectly. Darkness covers up people's ability to see sin, especially in ourselves. It allows sin to hide. It allows sin to fester. Satan loves the dark. He loves shadows. He loves things to be hidden. But light drives out darkness. And Jesus has said in many places that everything that is in the dark will be brought to the light. And everything that is hidden will be made seen. Jesus tells them, this is your hour. You're at home here in the dark at night. This is appropriate for your spiritual darkness to take action here in their physical darkness. This is your hour where it appears you have won. This section starting today through the rest of this chapter and through chapter 23 of Luke's gospel, this is the darkness. This is the section as we go through the arrest, the, the trials, the crucifixion, the beatings, the death, and the burial of Jesus. This is the section where it appears Satan is one, where darkness is encompassing everything. This is the section where the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, whoever else, the elders, the scribes, they can all start relaxing and thinking to themselves, we got him. Finally, we got him. It is always darkest before dawn. And the darkness that is falling on Jesus and Jerusalem, it has never been darker than in this chapter and a half we're about to go through. 
but that darkness will not stay. Post tenebras lux, out of darkness, light. It's the motto of the Reformation. As they come out of the dark ages of spiritual darkness, the light of the gospel starts shining forth and spreading through the nations. That same motto fits what we are seeing here in Luke's gospel. They're entering the darkest of the dark. But we remember that out of darkness comes light. Jesus knows and is actively allowing this to happen. He's not passively sitting back and letting it happen. He's not, uh, but he is actively allowing it to happen, actively stopping the disciples from stopping what is happening, knowing that this is all has to happen in order for you and I to have our sins forgiven. Knowing that all of this has to happen, this darkness has to happen for you and I to be freed from sin. Knowing that he has to go through these things for you and I to experience life and life abundantly. That he has to go through the darkest period in history, spiritually and physically. That he has to be beaten to the edge of death. And then he has to be crucified and put to death. The full wrath of God poured on him that nobody has felt before or since, that we will get glimpses of if we do not turn to him, that he has to go through all that so you and I can be saved from that wrath of God and to be reconciled to God. And so, yep, Satan, this is your hour. Jesus is telling him, chief priests, this is your hour. Enjoy it while it lasts because it's not going to last. Enjoy it while it lasts because the light is coming to drive out the darkness. Enjoy it while it lasts because Sunday is coming and he will be back and the light will shine and cast out every inch of darkness. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. We we see these situations. We see what's coming in the scriptures. We see what has happened and what needed to happen and the darkness that they had to be feeling at that moment. And yet we see, we already know the end of the story. We see that the light comes out of that darkness. We see the results of that. And that is to our benefit, that you have given us Jesus and the absorption of your wrath, his death and resurrection and ascension so that we can be reconciled to you. And so as we go through today, we go through these sections coming up, help us to remember that light. Help us to remember the purpose. Help us to remember that without the bad, there is no good. And help us to remember that good. Help us to share that good with so many around us that are are looking, that are lost in the dark, that are looking for a light, that know that this world is broken, that know that, that something better has to be there. Help us to show them what that better is. Help us to show them you. And that out of darkness comes light. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. Visit us online at facebook.com slash bangorcommunitychurchca, all one word. Or Pastor Casey at Casey Holenchek. That's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K dot com.
Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's Word. If you've listened this far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at kcholenchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.